Hello. 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 The Classic Guitar Rock Podcast starts right now. Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. From coast to coast, from border to border, from one end to the other, and all points in between, the Classic Guitar Rock Podcast is on. Yes! That's awesome! We crank up and break down the great guitar-driven rock of the 70s and 80s, and you are invited to come along. We got a full tank of gas, half a pack of cigarettes, it's dark, and we're wearing sunglasses. Hit it. And now your hosts, Jeremy and Jeff. One half teaspoon for fast, effective relief. It's time for the Classic Guitar Rock Podcast. Well, welcome back to the Classic Guitar Rock Podcast. We are up to episode nine. And first of all, let me say hi to Jeff. Jeff, how are you doing? Hi, Jeremy. I'm dealing with a uh, damaged instrument to yeah. a buyer. So, so we were just uh, lamenting on he's selling. You know how, well, both of us have this addiction to buying and selling gear. And this is one of the downfalls when you sell gear and something goes wrong and now you got to deal with it. Yeah. And so that's that's where Jeff is and I can relate. And so what was it? It was a guitar that was a, the neck is 2008 uh, Les Paul. Okay. A uh, faded, which, which meant that it's chambered. So it's not so heavy. Right. 60s neck, pearly gates pickups, uh, just upgraded the, the pots. It was just a nice feeling, nice sounding guitar. Right. Right. So, you know, it's the worst. You get that email. You got it. The buyer's like, hey, man. Yeah. <laughs> this wasn't what I expected. I've, I've had to, me either, I've man. I've dealt with that. I've dealt with that, too. So, And I'm, I'm going to bring in – let me bring in our guest today. Now, yeah. we're, we, Greg is our special guest, and our show is devoted to Greg. But here at the beginning, you know, the preamble part, I want Greg involved here, too, because Greg's also a musician, and uh, he, can, he can relate. So uh, Greg Feller is our guest. Greg, how are you doing? I'm doing well. Great. And he's joining us from Denver today. His, yeah. his home is Southern, sunny Southern California. Yeah. He's a, he's a, do, do we call you a recording engineer, audio engineer? What do we Audio engineer, recording engineer, whatever. Awesome. Perfect. And so we're going to, uh, we're going to get to Greg for the, the main portion of the podcast, but we just thought we'd bring him in here at the beginning for all of the opening festivities as well. So Jeff, we are, we are rooting for you on this issue with your, <laughs> with your guitar. You'll have to let us know uh, how it happens. You. I appreciate um, it. I think you mentioned we have a few news headlines today. Yeah, I dug up some. Okay. Surely. Let's hear it. And, and Greg, you are welcome to comment on these if you have uh, that? opinions on right. any of these. So he's, we're just throwing them right in. He didn't know he that? Didn't have 
post duties. <laughs> um, what I found today, I had no idea. Um, bon Scott from ACDC was in a band called Fraternity before ACDC. Okay. And um, I suppose they've they recorded two albums pre-ACDC, and there's some unreleased material that they dug up. Wow. And so that's, I believe it's on Spotify today. I found it. Really? It's called Fraternity Seasons of Change, 45 songs. Now, and, is Bond, uh, cool. Bon, because I know at one point he was a drummer. Is he drumming on this? Because I've actually seen videos of Fraternity on YouTube, and they're they're not like ACDC. So if you're no. expecting ACDC, they're kind of a 70s glam mm-hmm. uh I don't want to call them disco, but almost bubble gum. They're kind of like a sweet, mm-hmm. a less macho version of the sweet. <laughs> uh, yeah, I didn't, the, I didn't listen to too the much. The video but... I saw, he's not playing drums. He's like just kind of, he's not singing lead. He's kind of like a background singer guy. And he's wearing real tight polyester. I mean, it's it's total nineteen seventy four or seventy two or what? That's awesome. I read oh. that he had a more of that bubblegum yeah. band pre fraternity. Oh, so maybe maybe this is the wrong band then. Maybe I saw a pre pre fraternity band. But either way, I'm definitely going to check that out. Yeah. So so that's the first thing. I thought this was kind of interesting. Pearl Jam. Uh, is is basically threatening to sue a UK tribute band called Pearl Jam with two M's. Oh, <laughs> for some reason, uh, <laughs> Pearl Jam have been doing their thing for like five years. Wow, nobody said anything, and all of a sudden, <laughs> for some reason, uh, so, they're claiming. You know, they're saying cease and desist, change your name. So um, let me ask you this, and we're 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 all not n- none of us are legal scholars. At least I don't think so. And Greg probably has some thoughts on this. Is a cover band, is a tribute band hurting or helping the band? I mean, I have a thought on that. I think they're helping the band. I think they're promoting the band's music. And if I was in Pearl Jam, my personal thought is that's great that there's a tribute band out keeping our music alive, playing it to folks. I don't know. Greg, what do you think? I guess it's probably opinion and it could really go either way, depending on the, uh, the talent abilities of the band. (laughs) If they're really terrible, you might be turning off people to the music, but if they're really good, like you said, they're perhaps exposing people to the music that otherwise wouldn't have listened to it. That's a good point. You guys both in Colorado today, there's a video on YouTube of the Brit Floyd, you know, the pink Floyd tribute band playing at red rocks. That is phenomenal i mean it oh, is sweet. it is phenomenal and i'm sure they have some legal arrangement with pink floyd because they've been doing this for years and they're the of course every tribute band says this but but they're they're considered like the best pink floyd the one tribute band and they're well, i mean it's awesome to play red rocks yeah. so yeah yeah together. yeah you're, you're pretty you're you're pretty big time if you're playing red rocks i guess they were the band was selling merchandise like using the same font, okay, and some See, other artistic thing that the yeah they're probably the running base. into copyright so they were issues it a little farther. Yeah, so so I hadn't thought about that angle. I'm thinking of just the band playing, and maybe that's maybe that's the reason behind the case is is they're selling yeah rip off. Check out that hat, by the way, that you're wearing. Now our our listeners can't see it. 
But it, for those of you that can't see it, Jeff is wearing a hat. It looks like the Gibson guitar logo. Okay. So it looks, if you look close, you think it's, it's a Gibson hat, but it actually says Gibbons. Yes. Yes. So I'm assuming that's the Reverend Willie G that's Billy Gibbons, a reference to Billy, but you know, here we are talking about copyright infringement and our own friend, Jeff is is guilty (laughs) of it right here. (laughs) Is it me or the maker of the hat? It's the, well, there you go. Yeah, I'm a, I'm he's a Jeff's off the hook. He's off the hook. You're off the hook. You're the victim here. You're the victim. <laughs> you thought it said Gibson when you bought it. So, uh, yeah. Well, that's the thing I was going to bring up with um, Pearl Jam. Um, 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 uh, with all the M's. Uh, I'm actually reading this book about um, publishing and all about music business. So where you're absolutely right. I'm not an expert, but I have learned a little bit of things from it so far. And if you have a name that's even similar enough to where it confuses people into thinking they might be getting the original, that's where you run into a lot of legal issues too. Yeah, Like they could have like Pearl Jim or something like that. And that's close <laughs> enough yeah. to where it could confuse people into thinking like, oh, we're buying Pearl Jam's records or this or that. And you get sure. a Pearl Jim record and yeah. you're let down. And <laughs> I, I think I read that they're changing their name. I don't know if they've actually done it uh, to legal jam. Legal jam. Okay. <laughs> legal jam. I kind of like that. What am I? They're in a legal. <laughs> That's good. You know, uh, uh, episode one of the episodes. I think episode six. Uh, I was talking about Riot. Riot's been around since the mid seventies, and they're in New York, and they had a, a great. Don't get me on Riot. I love Riot. And they should be considered one of the classic metal bands, but they just aren't. They just never, for a number of reasons, go listen to episode six and we lay that out. But when they released um, their album, Born in America, which is a pretty good album, this was at the time when Quiet Riot literally had the number one album with Metal Health. And so they put stickers on, uh, and I don't know if they were required to do it, but to Greg's point... It might you know, have been how many, and it, that could be why, you know, because someone might've saw that quiet riot video. I'm going to go buy it. And then they go see this album riot. And so there was a sticker on there that actually said, this is not quiet riot. <laughs> so it, it might've, <laughs> yeah. but the thing is they both been a, around about the same amount of time from the mid seventies. It just happened to be that one band got really popular and one didn't, but that's, that's interesting that that comes into play there. So it, you know, something that would confuse the buyer, especially if it's intentionally. Yeah. We could do a whole episode on uh, that kind of thing. And also songs, oh, yeah. songs, songs that have been. Oh, absolutely. Borrowed from quote unquote. Oh, oh, gosh. <laughs> borrowed. It's such a nice word. We could do, we could do, a, and I love Led Zeppelin, but right. There's a, there's a whole episode out there that we could do about Led Zeppelin. I'm not even going to say borrowing stealing right i mean they would they would put (laughs) they would put other people's songs old blues guys songs on their albums and then say they wrote them you know so they wouldn't give them credit they would not get give them credit now over the years they've they've made recompense they've gone back and made some changes on some of these things but uh most of these blues guys died penniless right 
because a lot of these Brit guys that really borrowed heavily from those blues men didn't give them the credit they deserve. Yeah, so that's anyways, the, that's not cool, man. It's a long story. Yeah. So any Come other on, any other news items, Jeff? Phil Spector died. Oh, I saw <laughs> that. I saw that. Now, Greg, I forgot. don't want to put Greg on yeah. the spot, but Greg, because he's a audio engineer, and this is kind of one of my questions. In your education, right, how far back do you guys go? I mean, is that part of what you learned? You go back and listen to old stuff? And, you know, Phil Spector's known for this whole wall of sound. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I, I'm just curious, is that part of the, the education you guys go through? Do you go back into history or, or do you just kind of start from now? Well, the engineering side is more kind of diving into the science of it. Mm-hmm. So the, when I was in school for that, man, sometimes I thought I was studying to be a doctor. We learned <laughs> about the inner workings of the ear. Sometimes I thought I was studying to be an electrician, learning Ohm's law and all of that stuff. And uh, we learned so much in depth, so much of the science. And I don't think if I'm remembering right, cause it was still probably eight or nine years ago when I was in school. Uh, I don't think we dove too much into studying producers. There was one part of a class where one of our assignments was to look up a producer and uh, do kind of a little report on it. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe one that we didn't know so well, just so we could learn some things about it. But we didn't really study that so much. It was a lot more of the the science side of audio rather than the uh, the kind of history, the music and all of that. Gotcha. Now, Jeff's background and education is also similar to what you do. He's more kind of in the film side, but he's he's also an audio production guy. So I'll ask the same question to you, Jeff. I mean, is that is that part of you probably did it from a film standpoint? I'm thinking is as you learned, you kind of went back and look at these historically, you know, these masterpieces right in the field. Yeah, we would go back and listen to the sound design. Mm hmm that a sound editor or supervising sound supervisor would, would do. Right. Would add. So we would, and we would listen to like Foley. We would listen to all these examples of what they had done in the past, just right. for, you know, a, like a baseline in a way. But the production side of audio, we, we only had maybe a few classes in the actual engineering part, but we did, we did touch upon some of that science and things like that which is really awesome. And and you know, what's awesome. Sorry. I'm a total nerd guys, but what's awesome, especially when you look at like old time radio, when you talk about Foley, you know, when you listen to old radio shows, there would literally be a guy that his job was standing over on a little wood floor. Yeah. Making noise. So walking up like Monty Python guys. Exactly. There's a guy over there. He's walking, he's walking up steps. You know, if someone falls over, he's making noises. I mean, it's, that's crazy. Yeah. It's kind Um, of what I, one of the things I wanted to do, uh but there's like six people. (laughs) Do it. Yeah. There's a handful of small, it's a small club. Your job is to rub your hands together over here. Yeah. You know, it's like, we actually kind of did that in school too, because there were so many different areas. It wasn't just focused on music. They focused on uh, video game audio as well as film audio. And we had a class in Foley ADR and all that stuff. And we took a segment of, I think the, uh, I think the film was, I can't remember the film. Anyways, we removed all of the audio and 
completely did our own fully, which I thought was so much fun. That is so cool. So much fun. <laughs> it was great. Yeah. And then the ADR replacing the dialogue and, and then scored it too. So that was pretty cool. I could totally nerd out right now because Avatar. You, that's what I it was. I love <laughs> like the old the spaghetti westerns, right? The old Clint Eastwood movies. Where yeah. if you notice, like Clint Eastwood's the only guy speaking English. Everyone else, it's dubbed, you know. And <laughs> so it's so hilarious to do that. And like I took a TV production class. This is '85, right when I graduated high school. Our teacher, he brought in. It was the raw footage of an episode of Gunsmoke, like a fight scene, just raw. It was just raw footage. And what our assignment was, is we were supposed to put together a fight scene, editing it all together. And it was the coolest thing in the world because we had 20 people in the class and they were 20 completely different fight scenes. Yeah. And uh, it was really, it was really, it's so super creative, you know, it's so awesome. Okay. So when we come back, We're going to actually interview Greg, okay? And Greg's, I I think, got a really interesting uh, background and story to share with us. So that's all coming up when we come back on the Classic Guitar Rock Podcast. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome back to the Classic Guitar Rock Podcast. This is episode nine. I forgot to mention, uh, and Jeff, you're supposed to remind me about this. You can become a patron of the Classic Guitar Rock Podcast on Patreon. Our goal is to make $9 a month. Okay, so that's three patrons. We don't have any patrons yet. Okay, so you can be one. You can be one of the first patrons. $9 a month is our goal. So check us out at uh, Patreon. We'll put a link there. And and as always, you can always reach us at by email at classicguitarrock at mail.com. So our guest today is Greg Feller. And let me just tell you how I know Greg. Greg had the unfortunate position of having to sit through <laughs> training classes with me. That was, when was that? That would have been about 2000, uh, 2008, maybe? Yeah, yeah, right around there, 2008, 2009, maybe. So Greg oh, hey. was a supervisor. We both worked for a company that runs uh, call centers all over the place. And Greg was a supervisor and I was a trainer. And so he had to sit through a bunch of classes with me. He was, he was well-behaved. He turned me on to Blind Guardian, by the way. He, he oh, yes. Blind Guardian. And uh, I, I can't say I'm a huge fan, but I have. I can say I am a fan. And I like to check out Blind Guardian. They're they're German, right? Yes. They're I am German. so stoked you remember that. And, no, <laughs> I still have the CD. It's in my car. It's in my car. Yeah, I still have it. It's a, burn, a copy oh. that Greg burned for me. 
And uh, very interesting, very interesting. And I've gone and watched the live stuff from Wacken when they played there. And, oh, and yeah. uh, so he kind of turned me on to that. But Greg, I remember Greg telling me way back then that his goal was he wanted to get into audio engineering and, and recording and that sort of thing. And then before I knew it, it seemed like he's in L.A. going to school for that. And so so that's awesome. So I'm going to shut up. And Greg, I want you to kind of give us your background, you know, what music you were in as a kid, um, and just walk us through going to L.A., going to school, getting your foot in the door at the studio, and, and just tell us your life story. <laughs> cool. I'll try to uh, I'll try to condense it as much as I can. Not your whole life. I'll be here way too long. Yeah. First off, I'm so happy you brought up Blind Guardian. That's great. <laughs> okay. Um, growing up, my mom and dad always played such great music, and I probably didn't appreciate it at the time, but I remember specifically I had to be around like seven or eight or something. My mom had this Eric Clapton VHS, and I would just play Layla over and over and over. And it was a version that spliced. You might be familiar with this or not, but it spliced like a bunch of different live performance of Layla all together in this one. And it was the coolest thing. And I just remember running around the house, air guitaring to that nonstop, <laughs> probably wore out the VHS. And um, that was probably about when I started getting interested in guitar, at least. And she had an acoustic guitar around the house and I would occasionally play that. No clue what I was doing. I think I learned smoke on the water. That was probably yes, one of the first. Yes, yes. Of course. That's like of the course. first riff anyone learns. Let me learn it wrong too. That's right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I probably still haven't learned it right. Um, and then uh, my dad, I remember one time he came home, like right around when CDs were probably becoming more popular. He just got a CD player for the family and he came home with Simon and Garfunkel's greatest hits. Nice. And I got hooked on that Scarborough Fair. Couldn't play that enough. And um, mom would always play Lindsey Buckingham. She played a lot of Fleetwood Mac growing up. And at the time, I didn't really care for it. Eventually got into guitar, pretty heavy. And uh, then, Jeremy, you're probably not going to like this. I listened to some of your earlier podcasts where you're talking about (laughs) certain band you didn't like. For the first 10 years of my guitar playing, and like really my own music listening was nothing but Metallica. <laughs> I knew that. I knew that. Yes. Nothing but Metallica. Like to the point where my sisters would be like, there are other bands. You have to listen <laughs> to somebody else, anybody else. We don't care. Well, as long as it's anyone other than Metallica. Let's see. This is probably around 95, maybe. Okay. 95. Oh, but how I got into them. Dad had an ex-girlfriend who had a son that was older than me. And because he was older than me, he's automatically cooler. And you want to be just like him. <laughs> and he played guitar. Actually, this is probably going into me getting into guitar more too. My cousins played a little bit. I'm kind of going off in all these You're different fine. tangents. No, sorry. Fine. But this, this kid, TJ, played guitar. And he was playing this riff that I had never heard anything like it. And I thought it was the coolest thing ever. If you're familiar with Metallica's Sanitarium from their Master of Puppets album, he was playing that opening riff, and I was dumbfounded. I was like, what is this? This isn't Fleetwood Mac. This isn't Simon and Garfunkel, anything else I've been listening to. And he's like, oh, yeah, that's Metallica. And I'd heard the name Metallica before, and I just figured, like, oh, that sounds scary. They sound, like, growly. I don't want to listen to that. And so I had this uncle that was really into heavy metal, 
And so I was like, I bet you he knows who that is. So I asked him, Hey, do you know what this is? And I played it on one of his guitars and he's like, yeah, that's Metallica. And he hands me the master of puppets album. And I, I was pretty young. And I just remember going home and laying down on my carpet, popping it in the CD player. It was like a little bubble CD player Mm -hmm. and just sitting in front of it. And then battery starts out that beautiful classic into that intro have no idea what's coming. And then the heaviness kicks in and just pummels me. And I could not stop playing that CD. And from that moment on, it was 10 years of nothing but Metallica. <laughs> nothing but Metallica. Have you seen him live? Uh, about 12 or 13 times. Yeah, yeah. So he's a fan. Nice. Yeah. Not enough. Not yeah. enough. But And here's the thing with Metallica. And I, there's a few bands like this. I like, like I've watched that documentary that what's that documentary? Some kind of monster. I've watched that. I love that documentary. I love the guys in Metallica. I do. I love James Hetfield. I love, I love, I'm the same way with Alice Cooper. I love Alice Cooper. I, I watch interviews. I just am not a huge fan of Alice Cooper's music. I'm not a huge fan of Metallica's music. I mean, I know they're great. I know they're huge. I just, I like them more than their music. So I don't want you to think I'm a Metallica <clears throat> hater. I'm just. I'm just <laughs> That's good. Not... I was going to spend the whole time trying <laughs> to convince you. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. So at some point you get a little older, you're in high school and stuff. When, when did you decide, Hey, this is, I want to be an, an audio engineer. What brought that? Okay. So um, I was playing guitar a lot. That was pretty much my entire life. Then I discovered skateboarding and guitar kind of took a back seat for maybe a couple of years, but it was still always one of my biggest passions. And I play guitar here and there. And then finally I started kind of doing them more around the same level 50, 50, as opposed to primarily skateboarding and um, just got into a lot of writing my own songs and stuff. I always thought that was fun. And I used this, uh, this video editing program, this program I used to, edit my skate videos on called final cut pro mm-hmm. i was using the audio tracks of that as like a daw to like record one guitar part and then i was like okay so if i play with that then i can add it's kind of being your one-man band or writing exactly. multi-tracking by yourself because you're alone or something <laughs> but so writing music got me into uh, needing to record it because i have a terrible memory in this this podcast would probably be a lot more interesting if i had a better memory <laughs> but <laughs> But that also led to me doing what I'm doing today because I couldn't remember my songs, so I had to record them. And the recordings were such terrible quality. And I was always just like, man, this doesn't sound good at all. Like, I, I need to start looking into this. So I, I got as many books as I could to improve my recording, like Complete Idiot's Guide to right, Recording, right. Recording for Dummies, as many as I could. And I learned a lot from those, but there's really only so much you can learn. So I'd start kind of um, shadowing people in this. I think this was still pretty well before YouTube. So it's not like you can just go type something in and, and be an expert on exactly. it, you know? Did you eventually uh, uh, start using GarageBand or Logic Pro? I did eventually start using GarageBand. And then, and I actually worked at a church for a while as a, as an audio engineer for their, their live sound. And this was well before I knew anything about it. I just mm-hmm. happened to be the only one that was interested in right, it. Right. So, which I think is probably oftentimes the case that they said, they said, he's got long hair. He can run sound. Yeah. He, he looks like he likes music or something. Yeah. I don't know. Put him behind the board. That's Does right. he know what he's doing? No, whatever. <laughs> we'll figure it out. And I also worked at this, uh, 
church's radio station and they had logic and I was like, Oh sweet. I can finally upgrade GarageBand." So I use logic quite a bit. And then, uh, then at some point it just got, uh, to a point where I still needed to learn a lot more and I really wanted to, I was very interested in it. And I was like, I, I've pretty much got to where I can mm-hmm. from reading books about the, the limit that I can learn from that. So I looked into going to audio engineering schools and um, whittled it down to three different ones, did a lot of research on which would probably be the best for me. And I, uh, I found this school in Phoenix, Arizona called the Conservatory of Recording Arts and Sciences, a really, really cool place. So I went there and it was a pretty accelerated program. It was like nine months. That was kind of one of the appeals as opposed to the other schools. Some of the other schools were two, three, four years long. Right, right. And I figured, all right, so if they're jamming all this knowledge into my brain for nine months... I'll be out in the field that much sooner than I would with the other schools. And everyone knows you're, you're going to learn a lot more in the actual field than you are in a classroom. Right. Even if the classrooms are professional recording studios, which most of them are, you know, it's just, it's always going to be a little bit different when you're in an actual session situation rather than a graded classroom situation. Uh, so I went out to Phoenix, Arizona, didn't know anybody out there. I was just like, yeah, this is the place I got to be. <laughs> Goodbye comfort zone. Hey, Goodbye. Hi. All of that and went out to Phoenix for nine, 10 months or so. And, and I love that school. I, I couldn't get enough. Like all growing up, I got pretty bad grades in school and it wasn't because I was stupid or anything like that. I just wasn't interested in the work. So I would skip school to skateboard. I would skip school to play guitar. Like mm-hmm. I just didn't want to learn about that stuff. Then you get me an audio engineering school. And if I got anything below a hundred percent on the test, I was like, no, what? How could I do that? Yeah, uh, and going to like all the extra classes, like all the extracurricular stuff that you didn't need to. I was such a nerd all about it. So um, I also visited that school because oh, nice. maybe in my 30s, you were probably in your 20s. I was contemplating audio engineering school, but then, and I liked that school, but I started thinking, you know, I think I mentioned this to Jeremy, like with technology, like GarageBand and Logic and prices of microphones and equipment going down. I'm thinking people are going to start doing this at home more and more and more. The big studios mm-hmm. are going to go out of business or some studios are going to go out of business. Did that, did you ever think about that when you were pondering this or you just were like, I love it. I'm going to do it. And we'll just, I didn't, I didn't think about that too much. And yeah, it is kind of the, uh, the obvious route. And that is definitely what's happened and is still happening always. I think I went there with the intent of just learning as much as I could. I didn't really have any uh, really thought out goals, I guess. So it's probably a bad thing. Mm-hmm. I remember when I was signing up for the school, the uh, the person I was talking to was like, well, what are you going to do? Are you going to move to LA afterwards, New York? And I'm like, I don't know. I'll probably just come back to Idaho and see what <laughs> I can do around here. And they're like, I don't think you're going to go back to Idaho. And <laughs> yeah, so you, I start learning all this stuff and the more I'm learning and I'm like, yeah, I really can't go to Idaho. I have to, I have to be in one of the major places, you know, and to really work in the, in the audio engineering side of it in studios and all that, you pretty much have to be in Nashville, New York, or LA. And I'd had enough with the cold weather. Yeah, <laughs> I was like, I'm, I'm never, ever living sure. somewhere that has winters again. Like I love visiting, going back up to Idaho to visit my family. And I mean, I'm in Denver right now. It certainly isn't warm here. <laughs> So, Greg, how did you get to where you are now? I mean, t- tell us 
how'd you land the job? I mean, t- tell us okay. where you are, and but how'd you get the job? So when you when you finish that school, they have an internship department, and their whole job is to have connections with studios across the country. I don't know if it's across the world, but mainly across the country, all these major recording hubs like the New York, Nashville, LA. Um, and so in all of the biggest studios, they try to foster these relationships to where they know the studios well, they know the people at the studios well. And because you've been at the school with them, uh, they know you pretty well. So they try to do their best to match you to first off a place you want to be. You make a list of like, several different studios that you'd be interested in working at and they they'll talk with you and let you know like hey we really think this would be a good fit for you so I decided I was going to move to LA because of the weather I knew people there I had friends there I do have some family there grandparents live there and uh, some cousins so it seemed like a pretty obvious decision for me to go there but again I didn't know what studio I was going to be at Um, my internship coordinator I was like, hey, there's this place called Ocean Studios. It's a really awesome studio. They do a lot of rock. It's a lot of the kind of music you're into. And the studio manager, his name's also Greg. Mm-hmm. And uh, and my coordinator's name was Greg too. So it's a <laughs> trifecta of Greg's. I go my whole life not knowing barely any other Greg's. And then I get into music and they're everywhere. They're all there. Greg's and I don't Jeff. understand it. Yeah. Jeff, yeah. Greg, those are the big music names. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You're born into it, whether you like it or not. You're a Greg. <laughs> so he told me about the studio and I was like, okay, cool. I'll go check it out. And they were hiring and I went for the interview and stuff. And it and just ended up being a really great match. And I was there. I started out as an intern. So you're not getting paid. You're just you know, making coffees, picking up food, scrubbing toilets, all that stuff. And <laughs> you do it. I'm, I'm kind of the mentality where I'm like, I don't care what I'm doing. I'm going to do it way better than anybody else can do it. Like I'm going to make that yeah. <laughs> these toilets are going to be so clean. You're going to eat off them. And yeah, since I you bring you your do. food, <laughs> I'm going to serve it to you on this toilet. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. That never happened. But so I moved up from that to runner where it's basically the same duties, except you're getting paid. Okay. And then, and then you also get your chance to go sit in the control room where, where they're actually recording and stuff like that and be a little bit more a part of the, uh, the sessions. And then from there you go up to assistant engineer because most times clients will come in with their own engineer. Um, and then each studio is quite a bit different. So you, you really need an assistant there to, uh, show you how to how to do the things you want to do assistants are doing quite a bit more of the work the uh, the behind the scenes stuff than most people would expect so i was doing that at that studio for probably seven years or so maybe eight years and then they shut down it was a weird situation i I won't get into too much of it but the the people that owned it i don't think they cared about making or losing money so i don't think it was a situation of that which most studios do have to worry about making money and uh, and like jeff was saying earlier now with recording equipment being so readily accessible and record budgets because of you know streaming and internet and all that and maybe we'll get into that later because of all that the record budgets are so much lower to where most people don't have the budget to record at an expensive studio because it it does cost a lot to be at these places and record properly and so that that wasn't the reason they shut down, but that is the reason that a lot of these bigger studios are closing down, unfortunately. And so they shut down a year and a half ago, maybe. And 
from there, it was uh, kind of it was a bit of a struggle because LA is an expensive city to live in, and right. I'd been at this same studio the whole time, so it's like I made a lot of connections. But with the industry the way it is, it's it's looking pretty grim. It's not looking real hopeful. <laughs> and I even had this thought of like, oh man, if I have to like quit music and live back in Idaho, it's cold. I don't want to do this. And, <laughs> Just all of this stuff. Idaho's not the place for me. It's beautiful, but I love love being in LA. So I eventually got my traction and have been a freelance engineer awesome. um, with several different studios around town. And it's pretty cool. They've been keeping me busy for the most part. Then, then coronavirus hit and yeah. wiped, wiped out my... Yeah, that's been a mess. So of course, we want you to name drop. And, and of course, you know, if there's stuff you can't talk about, that's great, but I can share things you've posted on social media, right? Yeah, of I'm course. You've worked with. So, so I've seen, and I just, ever I would just get mad at Greg. I would say, I hate, I hate Greg Feller. I hate him <laughs> because he's posting these pictures here. Oh, look, there's Jeff. There's Greg Feller with Paul Gilbert. Oh, oh, look, oh there's man. Greg with Billy Sheehan. Oh, there's Greg with Nathan East. Oh, there's Greg with. Was Portnoy? Did you ever work with Portnoy? Twice. So I'll tell you a funny story about the majority of those people you just mentioned. This is kind of funny. So we uh, we get this project, and this was back when Ocean was still open. It was a Mike Portnoy, Derek Sherinian project. And if you're at all familiar, right? Is that what it was? Sons of Okay. Yeah, but at the time when they first came in, they didn't even have a name. Wow. It was just uh, it was just like Mike Portnoy. Derek Sherinian, Billy Sheehan, and Ron Bumblefoot Thaw. Yeah. I don't even think they had officially announced that Jeff's I know they didn't announce that Jeff Scott Soda was their singer at the time. And he might not have officially been in when they first got in the studio. I don't know. But I was a big Dream Theater fan. Like love them. And so Derek Sherinian used to play keys in there and Portnoy was one of the founding members and was in there for a really long time. And I was a really big Portnoy fan, even not being a drummer. He's just amazing. Incredible. Yeah. He's like the heavy, heavy metal Neil Peart. Yeah. He's awesome. So I was really excited to work with them. So that session came in and that was maybe a week or two. I can't remember. I think it was like closer to two weeks. And that was a lot of fun because it was heavy metal music with these dudes that I really looked up to. And and Ron Thal. Oh my gosh, man. He's incredible. He is insanely good, so underrated, and and he's just an awesome me. singer. He toured, he's an amazing he singer. Toured with Asia and sang. Yeah, yeah. can you believe that? Uh, I, I can was, believe that. I'm like, no way, because I thought I thought Ron Bumblefoot Bumblefoot's with Asia, and then I watched the video. And it's like he's singing. That was it yeah. blew me away. He yeah. is unbelievable in every aspect. He's hilarious and just a nice dude, and. Like, even if you took away his musical talents, he'd still be awesome. But his musical talents are, they're not human. He's ridiculous. I think at one point when we were recording in that first session, Derek was trying to figure out this uh, keyboard part. And Ron reached across behind from the back of the keyboard and like played it. (laughs) I was like, what the heck is the matter with this? Yeah, do it like this. But in reverse. When you're assisting, are you are you assisting? It seems like assisting is a better way to go now because people show up with their own engineers and you kind of chill yeah. in the studio, get the mic set up. 
right? Yeah, mostly mostly I'll be assisting, but a lot of times people will still come in without an engineer. And so in those cases, I'll be their engineer. Or if I'm working with a friend's band as their engineer, those are the times I'll be engineering. But a lot of times I'll get called for assistant gigs. What takes the most time and what's the, you know, what are the key elements when you're setting up a band? Because I, I think people imagine a band comes in and you hit record and it sounds amazing you know, versus, <laughs> versus like miking things properly and worrying about phase and cancellation and just yeah, different yeah. microphones on different instruments. I mean, it takes time. So from, from an assistant standpoint, sometimes those decisions are yours. Sometimes they're not. A lot of times the engineer will know because they've already typically been working with the band for a while before they actually come into the studio to record. They'll do a lot of pre-pro so they know, okay, this is the band's sound. This microphone's going to sound best for this guitar player's part, this, you know. And so usually you'll get a list of all of the info, how they, how they want it set up. And then you do the technical stuff of setting it up, patching all the outboard gear, all the equipment in. But yeah, then sometimes the engineers will say like, "Hey, what do you what do you think would be a good mic choice for this?" Da, 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 da. And that's when the science part comes in, where you have to know like each microphone's uh, frequency response curves, you know, things like that, to where like, all right, this microphone would be very well suited for this application, and mm -hmm. if you're wanting this effect, this piece of gear will do it, and things like that. Is the SM57 still the mic of choice for loud guitars? It gets used on every session I've worked on, with the exception of a recent session. And it's so it's so strange not to use a 57 that I I pointed it out to the producer I was working with. I was like, "You realize we're not using a single 57 on this session? That's kind of <laughs> that's pretty interesting." Because I mean, the it bomber, gets used. Right? You can throw yeah. those things across the stage. Yeah. And apparently, they I always just hold heard, up. like. Yeah, if you need to use it as a hammer or something, you can yeah. bash a nail in and then plug it back in and you're ready yeah. to go. But it's whack your lead singer. It's been on exactly. the uh, it's been on the president's podium since like nineteen sixty four or something. Probably yeah, the same it, one too. Yeah, probably probably so. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. That's an interesting little fact. So, yeah, I didn't know that either. So I'm a nerd, okay? There I listened to an interview from Bo Hill. Bo Hill produced Rat. He produced I think he did some poison. He, I don't remember who all he's done, but he tells a story of when he did the first rat album, they had an old beat up Marshall and an old beat up Marshall head. And they said, well, we got to get, we got to try out some amps. And they spent like three days finding different amps and enclosures. And they spent all this time doing it. And finally they found an amp that everyone was happy with. And it was the original amp they brought in, the original cab, and they wasted all that time. He recorded both guys on the same old Marshall. You know, they'd do their Warren Demartini and Robin Crosby would do their own parts, but all using the same amp. And 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 I read these stories of it. You know, it took us a week to get the drum sound. You know, and all this. I'm like, oh, see, because I don't think people picture that part. And that and that's kind of the question I wanted to ask you. How close is your actual job to what you thought it would be? You know, when you have this dream of becoming an audio engineer, how close is what you're doing to what you actually thought it would be? That is a good question. It, it, it's interesting because, again, I don't know if I had this vision in my head of exactly what it might be or what I'd even want it to be. All I knew was, all I knew is, I love music so much. It's 
that and skateboarding had been my biggest passions in life. And I was like, I have to work doing something that I love because I can't be happy being a supervisor over at Capital One or whatever, you know. Exactly, totally. I just, I, I have to be doing something that I love and skateboarding didn't seem feasible anymore. I used to tour a lot for it, but to make an actual career out of it, I was like, right. no. I So I, I looked more into music and I didn't, again, I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do. I just knew I wanted to work in music badly and I had to work in music. Otherwise, my soul would be drained. That's all. Awesome. <laughs> I didn't have any preconceived notions or anything, which also led to, you know, I didn't have any letdown. You can't be let down if you're not really expecting much. That's good. So when you, when a session finishes, obviously there's some editing that happens, right? Mm-hmm. Is that your part of your job or does, does the artist producer bring in someone or they take the tracks, the masters and edit them somewhere else? Yes. Or both, all of the above. <laughs> all all of the above, really. piggyback yeah. off that is, you know, how uh, intentional is keeping the, the, the music more human, loose, kind of loosey-goosey in the pocket groove versus like quantize or right on the beat? Yeah. Because that seems to be obviously with pop music, electronic, of course, but pop mm-hmm. music even is doing it so much. So, you know, in that studio, maybe where it's more rock, what was it like in regards well, to those things? A lot of times um, that area wouldn't be my job because most of the time the people would come into the studio specifically for tracking. And that's just a different way of saying the recording part. They get all of their parts recorded and then get out of there again, because there's not as much, uh, not as much money in it. They don't have a budget to sit and hang and stay in the studio and take a week to get a drum sound, take a week to run through all of these different amps before they find one. Some projects do, and those are so fun to be on, but they're very, very, very rare anymore. Yeah. Uh, which is unfortunate. So is a lot of times you get just a single day long session and you don't really get to know the people too well, but, but yeah, so they'll they'll record at the studio and then they'll usually take their tracks home to uh, you know, maybe their producer or engineer's home studio or something like that where they'll edit it and things like that. And I've done a lot of the editing and I certainly do that with a lot of my own music. And it's that's the closest my job gets, I feel like, to being like an accountant or something that I hate. The yeah. monotony <laughs> of like comping tracks and editing and all of that. Yeah. And uh and when I first started out doing it, I just had this tendency to try too hard to get them all perfectly quantized and all of that and perfectly in tune and all. And it completely drains the the feel of the music, completely drains the humanity and what makes the music so awesome right. to begin with. Right. Mm-hmm. And so like as I kind of developed a little bit more and learned a little bit more, I was like, Yeah, this isn't doing any favors. <laughs> You know, certain is music and producer that's requesting that to quantize, or is it just they say do what you want? Uh, do you know what I mean? Oftentimes, it'll be the the producer, maybe the musicians, and it goes by the style of music. If it's like more old school rock and roll, you're going to get a lot more of that mentality of close enough for rock and roll. Exactly, and and that's also kind of the beauty of it because you start to you feel the music more than you feel like a machine's pummeling this sound at you right jeff Ah. you like the editing part don't you i like editing in general i like editing i like editing video a lot okay and all those effects and transitions and things sound design i like editing Mm -hmm. i haven't done much with like a 
full track list from a band. You know? Right. Right. I don't know if I would, I might like it in the beginning, but yeah, then it would get, <laughs> yeah. I think if you can get creative with it, then it's fun. If it becomes monotonous or like, yeah, Greg was talking about this quantize and then I, that I wouldn't like. Yeah. Yeah. I used to like the video editing a lot too. I think what I'm despising the most is picture like uh, you have a vocal, a lead vocal and there's, you know, sometimes people get really crazy with the overkill. You might get like, 20 tracks of the same the same section of the song sung 20 times and then you got to go through and pick out each word each sometimes even syllables like oh this s is better from this take and then (laughs) and you frankenstein them together you do that with guitars you know vocals drums and then you hear the same phrase over and over a thousand times and and you're not even hearing it anymore like if anyone's in the room listening to you comp vocals they're probably on the verge of killing themselves, it's but you, yeah. your mind is in a different place, but you're just listening for these minor, minor intricacies and differences between the two. And and that gets really monotonous after a while. And it's not super fun and it's not super creative where editing becomes creative. That can be more fun. And I'm into that a little more, but that's more probably song arranging as opposed to like comping, making a composite. Yeah. Yeah, so, I wouldn't like that either. <laughs> what I what I'm interested in, uh, and I've I've even kind of asked Jeff this question too. How does your what you do for a living? Okay, how does how does being an an audio engineer, a guy that's recording music now, how has that changed the way you listen to music now? That is interesting, and uh, huh, that is a good question. So sometimes, if I don't like the song or I'm not necessarily into the song that I'm listening to, that's when I'll allow my hypercritical brain to kick in mm-hmm. and be like, oh, that's a horrible drum sound, or oh, that's clearly an auto-tuned vocal. It takes me out of the mood and I hate it. But on the complete reverse side of that, being that I started out as a musician, and that's my biggest passion, even before the engineering or anything like that, the song itself is always what matters to me. Like I'm a big Misfits fan too. And you want to talk about terrible quality, <laughs> and and they're also they're not they're not uh, doing a whole lot of crazy intricate stuff playing wise either. So, um, very simple and not well recorded by any means. But the songs, for whatever reason, grab you. So in those cases, I can turn off that part of my brain and actually enjoy the music. And if it's a good song, it's a good song. If they, yeah, I can I can enjoy it. But then there are the times when it's like if it's a song where I'm not super into it then i will start to notice all of these teeny little things that'll perhaps drive me crazy yeah yeah what what about you jeff do you listen now uh differently than you did when you were a kid in high school listening to hard rock what do you hear you know i gotta say one of the things i loved about music and rock and roll and heavy metal when i was in high school was paying attention to all the parts Mm -hmm. I, i was yeah, I was just drawn to like the guitar solos and who's playing what and whoa, did you hear that bass line? Exactly. That, that kick. Like, right. wow, yeah. these guys have got, like Bonham had this fast foot. With one, you know, yeah, one foot. One bass drum. Yeah. yeah. So I would That's actually, Nico McBrain. Nico McBrain, yeah. same way. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah. So I would, I would actually pretty early on was folk was into that, into listening at that level. 
And that's, um, you know, now that you mention it for both of you, right. I mean, I mean, I'm making these comparisons and, and I'm kind of the same way. I just haven't obviously pursued it to the level you guys have, but that's probably what drew you to the fields that you were in because you had that interest in, I'm going to listen to the baseline on this song. Yeah. I'm going to check where most people that are just, it's background noise. That's probably what led you both to do. You know, if I were a psychologist, you know, I would say that's probably (laughs) what led you guys to do that, but that's, that's awesome. So here's something that's very interesting. Black Sabbath's first album. How long you think, do you think it took them to record that? Seven days or something or five. It was like three days, three days. Okay. Entire album in three days. So, (laughs) and I just, I don't know. I, you brought up the question. One of you talked about it being loosey goosey versus quantized. You know, I can't make a blatant statement and just say, you know, loosey goosey's better anytime, but there's some pretty classic stuff that they just cranked it out, man. So I I don't know. That's just Jeremy. Do you, have you ever been involved with recording the whole band at once? just maybe isolating the drums. So what gets laid down is really the live Lucy goosey sound. And the band says, that's it. We did the right. song. I, I, we were no, all there. I've, and that's it. I've never been, I mean, I've watched enough stuff that I kind of think I'm familiar with the process and how it works, you know, but no, I've, I've never been in the studio to see that happen. Yeah, I think what that's about you, Greg? Fascinating, Greg. I'm sure has so. Yeah, quite a million times. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, where the whole band's tracking at once. Yeah, a lot of times these particular studios I work at would cater a lot to that style. You know, you would come in for something that you call basic tracks, and the main focus of that is the drums, the bass, and maybe rhythm guitars. And then, you know, if they have enough time, once they get all of those really tightly locked and all of that, then they'll add, you know, some more of the other things and do a lot of the overdubs and things like that. A lot of times it is you come in and you focus primarily on the drums because, again, time and money. Mm-hmm. You you can only afford so much studio time. And the drums are really one thing that you can't cheat so much and do at a home studio properly. And so they focus a lot of time on the drums and then maybe they'll go to their bass and guitar and vocals at a, at a cheaper home studio or something. But you do run into a lot of situations where um, you are recording the whole band live at once. I've done equally as many of those situations too. And when you're recording guys, like you said, Nathan East, Jeremy, that guy is a He's monster. A monster. Totally Dude, awesome. I worked this session pretty recently, maybe a, few months ago a couple months ago nathan east was the bass player greg bisonette was the drummer and i think this guy james hurrah who i think at one point he played for madonna some other people but between bisonette and nathan east they're creditless like it'll take you a day to read all of the things they played on just to read what they've played on yeah bisonette was david lee roth's drummer right yeah nathan east of course played with clapton for ever so to take it full circle, funny story. Remember that VHS I was telling you about? Mm-hmm. Who do you suppose was the bass player on that? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it was Nathan. Awesome. And I talked to him about that and he thought it was great. Yeah. And you know what's funny is he still looks the same age, right? Dude, he does. As, as he looked in 1983. Yeah. <laughs> you plan on aging anytime soon? Yeah, exactly. Um, so with guys like that, and uh, and I recorded Abe Laboreal Jr. and 
other dudes that are just monster players you have like all the musicians in the main room and then their amps are off in an isolated room right and so you still get the beauty of the isolation to where you can make your fixes and if you need to and there's a lot less if not no bleed um in the mics and stuff like that but you still have the feel of live all the musicians are still playing together live and uh, and when you're fortunate enough to work with some really really good players it makes it a lot easier otherwise you you get some good parts and you Frankenstein it together. So do you ever, cause I, I know this is happening more and more. <clears throat> There's lots of situations where one guy will be in London. He records his part. You know, the guitar player, Jeff is in Boulder, Colorado. He records his part. They're Ooh. never even in the same room <laughs> together. And then it all gets sent somewhere to be put together. Do you ever mess with stuff like that? Or have you ever been involved with projects like that? Actually now because of, people traveling a whole lot less. We've done a lot more of that. Prior to COVID, I hadn't done a whole lot of remote recording. Mm-hmm. You know, a little, but very, very rarely here and there. Typically, people would fly in to LA to, you know, come be with the band and all of that stuff. But now people aren't flying so much. And uh, so, yeah, we're getting into a lot more remote recording using different programs and stuff like that, where you can control people's computers from long distances and in one of these studios i work at we end up doing a lot of like it's typically just a vocal so it's quite a bit different from the other studios i work at and it's certainly not trying any of my abilities or (laughs) pushing me in a whole lot of ways like that that's just an easy gig but they're like nickelodeon disney sometimes voiceover sometimes singing to a track and things like that but since covid and all that We'd be recording them at the studio, but all of the producers and directors and stuff like that would be in remote locations, you know, maybe New York, Boston, all these other places. And they're coming in via Zoom and and, uh, Source Connect. We'll get the audio to them that way. And just all these different, pretty cool. It's cool that you can do it. I don't like having to do it. Exactly. But But it's, (laughs) it's, it's another, you know, it's another thing you can do. And and moving forward, that skill will probably be more and more valuable to have on your resume. That's awesome. Now, and we're all we're all there's light at the end of the tunnel, Greg, but we got a few more questions. <laughs> so as you go back now and you think of just great albums from a production standpoint, I mean, what are what are some of your favorite albums when you listen and you're just like, that is just a brilliant album? That's a tough one because again. <laughs> I'm probably horrible in the sense being an engineer and saying what I'm about to say is probably blasphemy. But honestly, when I'm listening to music, it's so much more about the music. Interesting. Uh, if the if the production adds to it, that's awesome. If the production subtracts to it in a negative way to where it takes you out of the music, right. then that's obviously a, a bad deal. But if I'm if I'm really really stoked on an album, it's typically not because of much more than the songwriting and the performing and all of that. But a lot of that is so amazing to listen to because it was recorded well, recorded properly, and your brain's not struggling to create these frequencies that might not be there. So you're not fatiguing. I mean, you there's psychological things that if you're listening to something at a poor quality, your brain's struggling to make up what isn't there and it actually fatigues you. So you're not going to enjoy it. So Although I say that, I guess there are some subconscious things that are coming into effect too, that the production and the the way they record it properly and all that 
will play a part in, but yeah, again, ultimately, I mean, when, when people talk about these great albums, like dark side of the moon, right. Yeah. I mean, do you, I mean, do you concur? I mean, do you listen and go, yeah, that's a great, that's a, and the thing about dark side is so much of it. They were inventing as they went. Yeah. That type of stuff. And we did kind of dive into history in the, in the school I went to about stuff like that. Because they were getting into like quadraphonic recording, quad mm-hmm. and all that, you know, so they were pushing a lot of boundaries in that sense. And the Beatles, they changed so much with how we record. And so from that standpoint, yeah, I definitely can listen to those and appreciate and be like, oh, this is what was going on then. But these guys decided to, you know, break the mold and go out. That's that's very impressive. Yeah. And it's changed the way we listen to music. It's changed the way we record music, all of that. Yeah. What about um, Roger Nichols? I think that's his name. Audio engineer for Steely Dan. Because you listen to Steely Dan, Dan albums and oh, every st- single one. Somehow it sounds good on my phone, in my car, on my computer, on my big system here. Mm-hmm. That's a guy taking his time to do it right. And, and a lot of times when you're, when you're recording and mixing, you have several different kinds of speakers at different qualities. You might have a really high quality speaker for certain details. But then you'll check it in your car. I'm sure you've probably heard a million times the old car test. You take a mix out to the car and if it passes on like the worst case scenario speakers, then you know, all right, it's going to work. And and you always try to think of, okay, well, how are most people hearing this? A lot of people are now hearing on a phone. So I should probably check this on the phone to see if it translates well. And earbuds, whatever. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Okay. So one, one last question. We want to thank you for coming, by the way. This has been awesome. We'll have to have you back. Lindsey Buckingham. Okay. So make the case for Lindsey Buckingham, because if folks don't know, Greg is a cute, look at his shirt, his shirt. He's got a sweatshirt on that says, and he's got a t-shirt. <laughs> Greg is a, a Lindsey Buckingham fanboy, and you got to meet him. Uh, you got to oh, meet yeah. him. So, okay. Yeah. You just take off on Lindsey Buckingham. Why? Oh my gosh. So is this the beginning of another podcast? Oh, wow. Could be a Fleetwood Mac. Wait, wait, you said you didn't like Fleetwood Mac when you were a kid or you, you changed. Uh, that's the funny thing. I didn't. And when my mom would play Lindsay's solo albums and stuff, yeah. I was like, this isn't metallic. I don't want to hear this. Mm-hmm. Get out of here. So then, you know, fast forward and yeah, Metallica is my favorite band of all time. And Lindsay's my favorite musician of all time. Mm. Like the guy is a monster from a production standpoint. You think of all the, I'm going to say something that isn't very popular, but I believe 100%. He is the reason Fleetwood Mac is what they are. I agree 110%. For totally. Most oh, people, yeah. and this is kind of a fun gauge. You can tell you're speaking with a musician or not if they're a huge Stevie fan right. or if they even know who Lindsay is. Because a lot of times I'll say Lindsay and you get, who's she? Who's she? Like, <laughs> she is not a she at all. And she's the reason Fleetwood Mac is massive. Uh, you know, they're obviously yeah. the Peter Green era, but they mm-hmm. didn't get to gigantic success like rumors did. Mm-hmm. And the Fleetwood Mac self-titled album that Lindsay and Stevie first showed up on and who was one of the main producers of that. He would take like Stevie's very elementary songs and craft them into these masterpieces that people love. Yeah. So production wise, I'm a huge fan of him because he's always one of those dudes that takes his time in the studio and he's a crazy perfectionist, probably to the point of driving people that work with him nuts, I'm sure. So he would push a lot of boundaries, take the time to get it the exact way that he's hearing it in his head. And on the production side, that's always so 
interesting for me to see a dude like him doing that. Then he's an insane singer. Like his singing's amazing. His songwriting's incredible. His guitar playing there. Every time he's been out of Fleetwood Mac, he's been replaced by two guitarists. What yeah. does that tell you? Who totally. don't do him justice. Right. No, he's a phenomenal musician. He's, he's awesome. He's awesome. one of a kind. Yeah. And um, just such a huge fan of his style. It's, there's nobody like him. Yeah, that is and crazy. he is whole two painfully underrated. <laughs> yeah, very much. Yeah. So. Very much so. And I totally agree that he's the he's the brains behind Fleetwood Mac. You know, uh, he, absolutely. He's the one that made it all work. So, well, Greg, we want to thank you for coming uh, and we'll definitely have you back. This is awesome. And it was great to check in with you. I haven't seen Greg for gosh. When did you leave? When did you go to L.A.? 2000 uh, i left idaho probably 2011 so okay i think yeah i probably probably haven't seen you for at least 10 years 11 yeah it's been a while but but it was great seeing you and catching up and yeah thanks so much for having me thank you i gotta say i was i was actually kind of very nervous to do this because i listened to your other podcasts and as i was listening i was like oh my gosh jeff and jeremy know so much about music like what am i gonna possibly add to this like i'm i'm gonna bring them down i'm just gonna sit and get an education like are you sure you guys want me no it was great uh, it was all (laughs) this was awesome and and i'm sure we can ask you some more stories next time about you know your because there's other questions i want to get to but 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 and we'll have you back so that's a reason to have you back i think that'll be great we want jeremy thank you thanks Thanks greg Greg. yeah thank you jeff jeremy this was a pleasure And we'll see you on the next episode of Classic Guitar Rock. Bye-bye. Awesome. See you later. Thanks for listening to the Classic Guitar Rock Podcast. Please like, subscribe, and share. You can email us at classicguitarrock at mail.com. We'll see you for the next episode of the Classic Guitar Rock Podcast.